Make sure we get all the gold. <laughs> it's the only thing our fans like. Is strong, <laughs> strong star. You fucking up. This one, is it Lewis? Was it Lewis? Right. <laughs> oh, I've missed this. <coughs> The good, the bad, and the remake. Spoilers in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad and The Remake podcast, where we watch some classic films, some not so great, and their respective remakes. Will the recreation be an unmake, an agreemake, or amazing? My name is Neil, and these are my co-hosts. Hey, I'm Catherine. Hello, I am Ben. Episode 12, the first part of our Christmas special, Black Christmas 1974, and its remake, some 45 years later, Black Christmas. There is two films. But as always, we can only share one synopsis. Ben, tell our listeners about these wonderful films. In the spirit of Christmas, I've snuck in a couple of allusions to Christmas songs in here, so I hope you can spot them. They're really obscure. It's Christmas time, and a group of female college students are preparing for a drunken Christmas together in halls when they start receiving disturbing messages from a stranger threatening them. When a local girl's body is found dead, it becomes clear that the mystery stalker plans on killing them one by one. It'll be bloody this Christmas if they can't figure out who is behind the slaying before they're all dead. Slaying, spelt S-L-E-I-G-H-I-N-G. You get it? It's Christmas and that. Oh, it's wonderful, Ben. I expected nothing less. Very festive. You're welcome. Very festive. Thank you, Ben. A very festive uh, synopsis there for our listeners. Catherine, as always, you're going to bring the Christmas stats and facts for us. Yeah. Um, well, the original is 1974. I think you mentioned that before. Directed by Bob Clark, um, who's also done another Christmas-themed film, and Christmas Story. Very different vibe. And Porky's. The remake, 2019, like you said, 45 Hours. I knew that was wrong as soon as I said it. 45 years later, um, directed by Sophia Takal. I don't recognise anything that she's directed. I don't think... She's more of an actress than a director. And I think she directed something called Green before this. But this is, is one of her early works, I'm guessing. So 620,000 for the original, which I think it'd be about 3 million now, yeah. took... Four million at the box office worldwide. That'd be about 21 to 24 million now. So it turns a decent profit. The remake cost five million to make and took in 18 and a half million worldwide. So again, made a profit. Both fairly profitable. Maybe that's why there's so many remakes because it's doing well ish. Yeah. So if, if adjusting for inflation, they're kind of similar budgets. Mm. If I got that right, yeah. Yeah, same pretty scale. much. Well, the original will have done better then, a bit. 
There's not, yeah. not much in it. Made for less and profited more. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, in terms of our histories with the films, uh, I had never seen either. So when Ben suggested The Black Christmas, uh, I was really, really interested in trees. Vaguely had heard about it, didn't know a huge amount about it, mucked into it subsequently. This is the original, this is, uh, and found out, yeah, it was, am I right in saying it was, was banned in a lot of places? Well, uh, right? yeah, I think Christian groups really picketed it at the time because, well, partly because of the content, but mainly just because it was sacrilegious to have something you know, dark and violent that's taking place at Christmas time, basically. It hadn't really been done, I don't think. So for you, Catherine, had you seen either film? Well, can I just say, when Steve Wright first suggested that we do a Christmas special, this was not the kind of film I thought we were going to be covering. Uh. This is not Christmas to me. However, we'll get to what I thought about them later. I hadn't seen either film. I don't think I'd even... I think I'd heard of Black Christmas, but I thought it was like a black comedy along the lines of like Bad Santa. I, I mean, I had no awareness that it was an old film. I was just aware of the name of it. So I wasn't expecting a horror. And it wasn't until I actually sat down to watch the film, I found out it was a horror. Yeah, and I just thought, another bloody horror. But You um, love horror. I'm not saying I'm keeping my mouth shut for a little while. Yeah, so, so that was... And I obviously didn't know that there were remakes. I will say you and Steve Wright will get your wish... Next time, we'll do some traditional Christmas fare. I'm a big fan of horror, especially 70s horror, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. But there was a black Christmas-shaped black hole in my horror vocabulary. I don't know. So I'd never seen either of these. And the it has been remade a couple of times, but it was the most recent remake that I'd heard more about because it was a Blumhouse production. So that was intriguing. Uh, so it was a sort of a double win for me. I got to see a modern horror film that I was interested in seeing and a classic, in inverted commas, horror that I probably would never have caught up with otherwise. I'm really shocked because everything I've looked into about this film is like, this is the birth of slasher films. It wasn't the very first one, but yeah. and it, it set up the future of slasher films, slasher films, slasher films going forward. I'm, because I know you like horror so much, that yeah, yeah. kind of surprises me. I think, honestly, my resistance to it is I'm not a big Christmas person. And so Halloween is more interesting to me. Hence, I've seen all the Halloween movies and I hadn't seen Black Christmas. Can I just ask if or when we return, we can watch a remake of a flasher film? Please? Yeah, definitely. Thanks. That's what I was hoping this was. I'm up for that. <laughs> Good. So, Catherine, I went in very blind. You did... We had a brief chat beforehand, and it was very clear that you knew zero about this film other than the title. So, and I, I said, "Don't tell me." I said, "Don't even." Yeah, I don't even want to know. So, over to you for your thoughts on the original Black Christmas. Well, I knew it was a horror from the off because of that weird, disjointed kind of unsettling music. Just and and the wind, like throughout the whole film, whenever there isn't music, there's wind going through the house, which is always kind of an indication of some kind of horror. Just something unsettling going on. I really like this film. I, I just thought it was kind of fun. I knew it! See, you love horror! Well, I, I tried not to, because I knew you were going to say it. I knew you were going to be like, oh yeah, we're going to do a horror podcast from now on. Yeah. But I like Jess, because I like that she wasn't the traditional... Oh, like I said, I've not seen a lot of horror. What 
I've come to know is the traditional trope of the lead sort of actress in these films in that they are virginal, innocence, the, the good girl, and they are, if they survive to the end, it's because they're a good person. And I may have that a bit wrong because, like I say, I'm not a big horror. I don't know a lot about the genre, but that's what I always imagine is the sort of the main protagonist. And Jess wasn't like that. She was independent. She was, she didn't take any shit from her boyfriend either. She just, and she didn't, she wasn't screaming throughout the whole thing, running scared. She kind of faced things. She was the one who contacted the police. I think I've got that right. She called them. She, I I felt she was quite proactive and I liked that. I liked the characters. I thought they were well developed in some ways. You know, they weren't just two dimensional. Barb, who wasn't particularly pleasant, I still thought she was a good character. I just, I thought she was excellent. Is that Margot Kidder? A lot of time for Barb. Margaret, yeah, Margot yes, Kidder. Right, okay, okay. Um, you know, because she wasn't. I didn't think she was heartless. She was just uncensored, and obviously had substance problems. I thought it was great. I thought I liked how ambiguous it was at the end. I don't think Peter is the killer. Is it Peter? Are we? I was just going to say, are we going to spoil the ending, or are we not? Oh, I think yeah. we'd need to normally. Okay, we just yeah. talk through what happens. Yeah, it's open, okay. open spoilers. Open we can season. take this out if I think it was the biggest red herring, like a red herring until the end, and still could be. It's oh, you know because he, we don't know. I don't think he's the killer. He's not. The killer. No, no, but but you can't be hundred percent on that. Well, but you kind of can. I don't think he is either. Um, but I just like how they did it. He's still a bad dude. Whatever. I liked so, it wasn't too Christmassy. It definitely had that 70s. I feel like there's a filter that goes onto these 70s horrors and they all got a similar, and it's probably because they use kind of similar film stock or whatever. I don't it's know. It's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. They use cheap cameras with like very standard stock, but film always looks good. And that's why mm-hmm. a cheap horror from the 70s will still look great when you put it in HD today. And a digital film from the 2000s won't look as good. Yeah. So I just, but there's just a, like when you put a film on, you're like, oh, this is a 70s film. Yeah. But you kind of know it straight away. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my um, conversion to the horror genre. Yay. <laughs> Welcome to the flock. There we go. <laughs> well, I didn't, I had no idea what you thought, Neil. Well, so yeah, I was, um, yeah, I thought it was, it was brilliant. Uh, so I think the moment where I knew I was going to love this film was probably a few minutes in where you've got the scene, they're all in the living room, the fire's going, all that kind of stuff. And it's just a first person view of the killer, essentially. Yeah. That is used so well where he's scaling the, yeah. the wall, gets in the window. And I'm struck, like, this is what made in the 74, did we say? Mm-hmm. You'll probably know, Ben, but that feels like a really smart shot that possibly hadn't been used or maybe that effectively before. I will say it's... more about it when it's my turn, Neil, but you're absolutely Ooh, right. Okay, okay. The characters in Catherine Nails, I think Barb is, Barb's brilliant. Um, so, yeah, she's a drinker and, yeah, she's got substance problems and this, that, and the other. Um, but she is, she is fantastic. She's such a, just a real person, you know, who maybe does have a drinking problem, the way she was kind of acting and uh, being. Uh, what was the old lady's name? Oh, Mrs. Something. <laughs> yeah, just finding the bottles of scotch all around the house. Love uh, that. Well, she's that was... just, she was gross. You can't, you cannot beat a good toilet swig just before bed. 
No, it was it was that was great. I thought the the horror, the actual horror part of it was really, mm. really quite scary. Mm. Um, because you, like in a lot of horrors, you, you don't see a lot of the act. You see the aftermath. So the the first kill, you see the the girl be grabbed, but you don't see her being suffocated. And then a few minutes later, she's got a bag on her head and rocking on oh, the chair. That I mean that. That, I just thought it was fantastic the way that they did that. I never expected to see her again, you know, but they just kept going back to her just with the, you know, dry cleaning sheets over whatever it was. And um, yeah, it was, it, it was a great shot. And I like the, um, the, the, the concept of the phone because again, probably in the seventies phones were not, well, phones existed, don't get me wrong, but it was probably something that hadn't been, used as a kind of plot vehicle maybe because they weren't mainstream. I don't think every house would have had a house phone. There is one bit which I thought is amazing and that is where they are tracing the phone call. Yeah. So I was, I was, yeah, I was thinking about this because again, phone tapping now is in everything. We've all seen the wire. We've seen every film with this phone tapping. It's dead easy. It's probably less known in the seventies and the way they kind of explain how it works and how you have to be on the phone for so long. The actual physical track tracing the call, the guy running through the uh, the phone exchange, that was probably one of my favourite bits of the whole thing. Yeah, it was really good. I yeah. love that, love that. And I think in terms of the, the wrap-up of the, the, the ending, I thought it was interesting that, that Peter was kind of being kind of faked to be the, the killer. Uh, he had the conflict with Jess, uh, and obviously he um, is at the house at the end as well. But I'm I'm pretty sure he's not. I think Billy is it Billy? Billy? Well, that's what yeah. That's what he well, he calls himself. So, yeah, is is still around? Yeah, I think I thought it was this was was genuinely very very good horror film, and it had enough Christmas elements to it. It wasn't just set at Christmas. There was Billy was having his own kind of Christmas day, if you like, mm-hmm. upstairs with his with his uh, bodies. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was great. So I'm really keen to hear what Ben thinks. I think this is one of those examples of going in with low expectations really helped. And that's not taking anything away from the film. But I expected something very schlocky going in. And it, similar to you, it won me over very early with that amazing POV shot and the first phone call, which... I was really surprised. Although it's kind of silly, it's genuinely creepy. And I don't think, if there's one fault in that scene, I don't think the girls in the scene were reacting strongly enough. Like Margot Kidder's being quite flippant about it, but Jess looks kind of scared, I guess. Well, I've got a fact about that. Do you want me to, I don't want to interrupt your flow, Ben, but. We've done it now. I'm sorry. But yeah, they, the, what they were listening to was a lot milder. It was just the director, actually. He was just being a bit, a bit, horrible but nothing too bad and he, yeah. that all that that stuff from the on the phone was like dubbed in later yeah and the use of language is actually still quite shocking it must have been i mean really profane for, for 1974 but as the film went on i started thinking like is this the first american slasher movie and I did a bit of digging around, and there's a bit of to and froing about this because Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out the same year arguably a slasher movie. Psycho and Peeping Tom had come out in the early 60s, which you could say started off this kind of film. But I think there's something very different. They're much more about voyeurism, although voyeurism is a big part of slasher movies. And then someone said, 
the proto slasher movie is a film called Bay of Blood. Now, Bay of Blood is a 1972 Mario Bava Italian giallo movie. A giallo is the Italian word for yellow. It's based on the pulpy books that these films were based on. And they're always mystery thrillers. They're always populated by very beautiful young people. There's normally a haggard cop trying to pull the mystery together and people get killed off bit by bit. But Mario Bava's films in particular are very stylishly shot. And I think if this film had been in Italian, I would have watched it years ago because this is exactly what those Jalo movies are. This is an American version of that. And everything about the structure of the film, that POV sequence and the setting at the beginning, wholesale ripped off by Halloween a few years later. And I had no idea. I'd never heard that before because I definitely would have sat down and watched it then. But it's startling how much the beginning of Halloween rips off the beginning of Black Christmas. But what I really admire about this film, and we'll get into like some of the cast and all that, I imagine, but it's, it's a proper film. It's not a cheap, I've got a camera, so let's make a, a horror movie. It's not a Roger Corman kind of thing. It's a proper intriguing thriller with good structure visual style pretty decent performances it's not cheap schlock which is what the knockoffs would become i think it's an excellent example of the american approach to what was big in italy at the time and um i think if you like this you really really should check out the early films of dario argento who obviously is most famous for suspiria but he did a lot of films like this and and mario barbara i could give you a list of 10 films of mario barbara that you should watch I just thought this was excellent and I, stupid that I haven't watched it before because it's great. It's, it's really great. And e- even that thing about the ending, like th- there are a couple of twists over the course of the film and arguably the last scene is a twist. But I love that they never felt the need to explain what Billy's deal is. There's lots of clues and you can put it together. It's really just a bunch of scary shit. But because Jess never figures out and because John Saxon never figures it out, we don't get to find out what it was. And I love that. I, I, yeah, it's great. I'm really yeah. glad that we're all on the same page with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just didn't need it, did it? No. It, it didn't need that. What you said about um, this being Halloween just sort of straight ripped off the beginning of this film. Yeah. I read that, um, I heard actually that the director of this film, Bob, I can't remember his surname now. Um, he He was, Bob Clark, he was due to do a sequel to this and it was going to be set at Halloween. Uh, it was just a year or two after. And he was speaking to John Carpenter and he was having real trouble getting his film together, like trying to work out how to do and he kind of gave him the go ahead to what it, with the, the ideas he had for his Halloween sequel. Mm. He kind of said, no, you do it. Now, whether he meant you completely rip off the beginning of my sure. Christmas film or whether it his he'd sort of said my Halloween film is going to start exactly the same way and you use that. I, I don't know, but that's what I heard anyways. Very good. Um, there's just a couple of other things I wanted to mention. So you don't get a very good look at Billy, but one of the most frightening scenes is where it just zooms in on his eye. Mm-hmm. Hiding behind the door. Um, so yeah, I, re- I really like that part. And there was another thing that I picked up on, and I think I've not got this in my notes, but I think it was between Jess and Peter. Uh, and I think it was Peter who said, I love you. And Jess said, I know. Which, of course, was later said very famously in a Star Wars film. So I reckon Han Solo is a big fan of Black Christmas. Maybe, maybe. There's another sci-fi connection, obviously, because Peter is um, 2001. Open the pod bay yeah. doors, Hal. Mm. <gasps> So although he, yeah. 
although he is playing a 20 year old in this film he was 38 when this was shot <laughs> oh that wow. goes on all the time though, doesn't it i i really liked when i say the ending of this film i like how it ended but i liked the final shot of the seat of the film yeah when there was no music playing you just that that sort of aerial shot of the house and you've got the one police guy standing outside guarding i'm not sure he's doing much guarding but he's there and you know jess is in there alone all the lights have been turned off and you just hear the phone ringing and it's ringing and it's ringing and you're like hmm yeah and no the no music but it was like yeah this is it's a fantastic ending so here's a question for you both then there's the twist about two thirds of the way in, I guess, is when they've traced the call and they realise the call is coming from inside the house. Now that's been done a few times in the years since. So I think I knew the twist already, yeah. but I'm going to say I did call it. But then I'm not. I'm not so sure the film doesn't expect you to get that. Am I right? Like you? Yeah. I, I thought it because the, the the first phone call, I was like, oh, the call's coming from inside the house. <laughs> but is that? But that's because I don't even watch horror films. But that is kind of what has been, is just seeped into culture. Is that what these films are about? So I'm not sure. No, I can't see if if this wasn't a thing that happened in films before, and this was the first film that this happened in. Mm. I can't see how you could expect anyone to... I don't think there are any clues left about that. Oh, Although, was. well, he was up in the... In the, in the loft, attic, wasn't yeah. 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 So you knew he was in the house, and you could kind of link, I guess, link the weird phone calls to the weird guy in the house, I guess. So yeah. I suppose the, that, that um, point that you were making about the phones earlier, though, Neil, like, that is the twist. I think everyone would have had a phone, we were probably out of the age where you had to call the operator, but you would never think that there would be two numbers in one house. Whereas now we've all got a phone in our pocket. We can text each other while we're on the toilet, you know? And I think that would have been the, the, the twist in 74. There's two phone lines. So I think I'm 99% sure that when they come to tap the phones, it's mentioned that there's two phones in the house. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the so, matron or whatever so, she is, has got another number, isn't she? Mm. Yeah. It's not made a big deal of, I think. And and he can quite freely use her phone. The the house mother, isn't it? That's what she's called. He can use her phone because he's he's killed her. You know, they think she's gone away for Christmas. They're not going into her room. Yeah, fair game. Mm -hmm. You kill somebody, you can use their goddamn phone. Yes, you can. Just imagine being in that house. Like it's a house full of dead people, and you don't know it. Yeah, it's all these dead people. Yeah. Really creepy dead people as well. I tell you, the, the, the other thing I really like is, and the, the director sort of denied that this was intentional and that it was really just put in there so characters would have stuff to say in between all the killing. But on top of, you know, that it's it's quite advanced in its what it's trying to do. The, the creepy phone call has some extremely uh, obscene language in it. The stuff between Peter and Jess is actually very progressive as well. They have a very frank conversation about abortion at a time when it was just becoming a political hotcake for the, for the Christian right. But then also Jess herself, going back to what you said about her being a strong character, Catherine, I love when the, the scene where Peter says he's, he smashed up his piano and he's saying, like, my plans have changed. And she says, you know, when we got together, we talked about what our dreams were. Your dreams have changed, but mine haven't. So just because you want to do something else doesn't mean I shouldn't follow my mm -hmm. dreams. And that was a real, it's not done as a burn your bra moment, but it was, and I think that's why I like Olivia Hussey's 
performance because she seems like so sweet and gentle in a lot of ways, but she's got a really strong heart. She's steel underneath, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Well, I think she just knows herself very well. And but it's, what it's, she wants. I think it's especially interesting when we come to the 2019 remake, which is obviously trying to deal with modern progressive ideas. And I, th- I think, without spoiling it, I think the 74 version, by not trying as hard, did it better because I think the filmmakers were coming from a progressive place rather than trying to make a progressive piece of cinema. 100,000%. I agree with that. Well, now we've got to talk about our man, John Saxon. Okay. <clears throat> John Saxon, for anyone who don't, doesn't recognize the name, he was, uh, I think he was Heather's father in... Uh, Although she's not called Heather in Nightmare on Elm Street. Heather Langenkamp's dad is a cop in that. He's also in Enter the Dragon. He's the guy who's always making bets. But I love the scene in the police station after Margot Kidder has given her phone number and it's going through a new exchange, which is like Felatio 103 or whatever. John Saxon's about to like get the info and his partner knows what's going on. And his partner is just dying laughing at his desk. And I think there's real laughter in that scene between those guys mm. as well. I think they're struggling to keep together. But his partner, I'm not even convinced he's a cop. I think he just hangs out in that office waiting for cool shit to happen because he does nothing to contribute to John Saxon's life in this film. He just sat there listening to him the whole time. But yeah, I loved, I loved all the stuff in the police station. And I think that's the other thing is that there's a sly sense of humor to the film in, in that scene. And with the house mother, she's a bit more broad and also with barb and her barbs you know there's a there is some like nice humor in there as well it's not just all grim i think you need it when a film's so tense you just need those kind of lighter moments it doesn't even have to be humor just something that you can kind of just relax a little yeah although i don't know it's some of the some of the the station i was like i was tense because he didn't seem to be taking it seriously yeah. which made me tense yeah yeah so that is our discussion on black christmas I think it's fair to say we all thoroughly enjoyed that one. Of course, we are the good, the bad, and the remake, which means we need to discuss the remake. Very quickly before we do, uh, going into it, do you have any sort of expectations, hopes, dreams, fears, anything you were looking forward to in the remake? Well, I just hoped it was going to be good, maybe. And Ben? All I knew about it was that it was the second time it had been remade and that it had previously, I think in the early 2000s, been remade as a straight gory slasher movie. Whereas this was coming from Blumhouse. I'll talk a bit more about them in a minute. But all I knew about this was that it was a feminist horror movie. And as a result of anything that brandishes itself as feminist these days, there was a huge internet backlash when it was released and hence the IMDb score went, ooh, because uh, a lot of man babies are on the internet. So I didn't know until watching it that it was a feminist film, I guess, or trying to be a feminist film. Mm. Uh, so I just thought it was a bad film from <laughs> the review score. Um, from the review score I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My expectations were pretty low. So, Catherine, you went in blind to the original Black Christmas have mentioned it a couple of times but just to clarify the 2019 remake is the one that we watched Catherine, tell us and our listeners your views on the remake um well we have said before in the podcast that we always look for that they do something different with the remake so it's not just a straight shot for shot or whatever it's something different and they 
did try this with a feminist slant, I guess. But I just felt it was so done so bluntly. It was like, here's a feminist issue, here's a feminist issue, here's a feminist issue. Right, we're going to get rid of all that now and just make it all supernatural and blow everything up at the end in a way. I just, it was quite heavy subject matter in a way. I just didn't do anything with it. And I just got really bored. Even when I was doing the research for this, when I, when I thought I got to research the second one, I just didn't want to. There were parts of it. I thought, okay, oh, okay. And I was like, oh, no, no. And I found myself, my mind just wandering, really. I liked use of the Christmas lights to kill someone. I don't know. I just, I felt it was interesting to start with, but I felt they could have just dialed it back a bit and we still could have got the same. We still would have known what they were talking about rather than, oh, let's talk about vibrators. Oh, let's talk about diva cups now. And let's actually watch someone put a diva cup inside themselves because that's what, I don't know, feminists do, I guess. It just felt... Is, is a diva cup the same thing as a moon cup? I think so. Okay. I don't know. I'm guessing it's just the American version. That's what I've gone with. And maybe I should have looked that up, but I just didn't want to. <laughs> I she didn't wash her Most hands afterwards. <laughs> oh, yes. But I, I, is it me? I don't know. But I've never run into someone else's room. I said, can I use your diva cup? And then inserted yeah. it in front of them. And then run off to class. I, I just I just felt it was very, very, like I say, blunt. It was like done very clumsily. They could have had, they could have had the scene in the, the lecture theatre with the creepy old um, Carrie Elwes yeah. um, when he was making the point about, you know, he's reading a very sort of misogynistic view on, from a, a text and he pointed out it was written by a woman, by a woman and he, he sort of did it in a way to, to put Imogen Poots down. I can't remember her name. Riley. We could have done that. We could have had the the petition going round, the allusions to the the sexual assault that occurred. But, but I just felt some of it was in your face and it didn't need to be. But then they didn't do anything with it. Yeah. It just all of a sudden turned into a supernatural thriller, horror. I, I don't even know if it was a horror. I, I just don't have that much to say. And if, if one more girl running away from a killer who is slowly gliding towards her yet somehow catches her when she's full pelt trying to escape and just this hooded figure just taking a slow kind of glide and it happens all the time and that happened quite early on and that put me right off I was like no so unrealistic but I guess if they were going for the supernatural angle uh, makes a bit of sense but it just got so weird out of nowhere really and then and everything bothered me then. And like she picked up this big, massive bust, you know, this marble bust, raised it above her head. It was like, what? Is it made of polystyrene or is it made of marble? You know, I, it was stupid things that annoyed me because, because the film had just let me down, I guess. I don't know if I am a bad feminist or a bad female for not getting on board with this, but that is how I felt about it. Interesting. Let, let the two men in the room tell you whether you're a good feminist or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I think the, the first major difference we pretty much get straight away are these hooded figures, uh, or figure we think at the start. Uh, later we find out it's figures. Uh, there's obviously a number of males uh, involved in this cult. So that was straight away, um, given the, the threat, a real kind of uh, identity, I guess. Because I think the opening scene was the cult, wasn't it? You didn't yeah. have any context for it. It was just men doing cult things. Yeah. Um, 
And then it followed a similar tone. They had the Christmas scene and the fire was going and all those kind of things. They modernized the phone call into DMs. You check your DMs, go to DMs, yeah, on some weird foxy WhatsApp messaging service. But yeah, it, it kind of lost me at that point. I think they were they were almost, compared to the original, the phone calls were genuinely threatening, weird, scary, psychotic, sick, mm. you know, crude, all that. Whereas it didn't quite have the same shock value in the in the in the in the dms there was another kind of link to uh, to the original uh, and that was in that um i think there was a reference in the original to there being a rape that took place in the, in the vicinity in the area as a rapist uh, out there and of course in the remake uh, riley is the one who has been raped by bill no it wasn't billy was it brian i think it was yeah. and then it goes down this kind of where i kind of expected it was going to go the killings were, you saw more of the killings. It was very, very, very formulaic in its kind of approach. It just didn't have the same feeling to it. But there is a moment where I, I kind of got on board with it, right? So kind of towards the end um, where they're about to, um, I think they, they're, in, they're trapped in the house. The killers there, I think three of the girls are locked in a locked in a room trying to hide and you know in i guess traditional horror films they they would have kind of had to sneak out and try and uh, try and escape but they just decided to go out like all guns blazing right we're gonna we're gonna do this so they fight the attack back she kills one of them with keys as a knuckle duster which i thought was pretty cool uh then they get to the to the cult venue i guess um, and then a crew of girls turn up and it just turns into like this mad 20 minute kind of action sequence when it all just went off the rails, right? It just went absolutely but insane. It was so bad. Yeah. So I'm not, so I'm not saying it's good, okay. but I found that bit entertaining. I thought that was just batshit crazy. It was mental. And I was like, right, okay, if I'm watching this film, it's just a bit of entertainment. I found that bit entertaining. I thought it was not good, entertaining. There was a bit in, in that bit, that final climactic scene, where um, one of them, I think it's Chris, they say something like, oh, thanks for doing this, or such and such, or good job you turned up. And the other one says, well, I know now's not the time to say I told you so, but I told you so. And it felt, I was like, whoa, yeah. because it was so tonally different to anything. There hadn't been that kind of banter or that kind of, was it an attempt at kind of comedy? But I felt like that would be, that's the kind of thing that Tony and Captain America, the banter that they'd have in a final battle scene in a Marvel film. It wasn't, it just came out of nowhere and I was like, whoa, this is, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? You've not earned that. Yeah. I don't know. I just felt that whole battle scene at the end. I oh, just rolled yeah. my eyes. Well, I d- Sorry, I no. described the battle scene in my notes as this is where things go full on dust till dawn titty twister but in reverse. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was. Yeah, I just found it. I found that like that. Not good. Entertaining. Very important clarification. I think they tried a bit too hard with some elements as well. So Landon, who was like the the, the love interest, I guess, or the not quite boyfriend, but starting a relationship with um, was it Riley? Did we say? Yeah, yeah. Riley. Yeah. And and like the fake out, obviously, oh yeah, he's the killer, like Peter was, blah, yeah. blah. 
But <laughs> for those of you who do follow us on Twitter, uh, may have seen a screenshot on uh, of one of my notes, uh, which was Landon talks to Riley about why they've never talked to each other before, <laughs> which is just awful. <laughs> so, I think to summarise my thoughts, I, it was it wasn't great, right? I was I was quite bored. I didn't like the cold angle. I thought I could kind of see what they were trying to do, but I did find the last sort of that battle bit entertaining. Ben, I think I'm the other way round. So I mentioned before this is a, a Blumhouse film. That means that it's from Jason Blum's stable and his whole thing is he wants to give directors carte blanche basically to do what they want to do within the horror genre as long as they bring it in under 10 million pounds uh, under 10 million dollars and as a result these films do very very well because they make 100 million dollars and they were made cheap and they tend to look great and a lot of them have uh modern commentary in them i think he's a big fan of the films that were made in the 70s where things like invasion of the body snatchers that we did was commenting on the environment that it was produced in and i think he wants to do that at the same time as delivering horror thrills so some of the films they've made would be like the purge series is a good example of that uh the hunt which came out this year and The Invisible Man, which came out this year. And I don't know if you've seen The Invisible Man remake, but that is uh, very much dealing with the idea of gaslighting and domestic abuse in a horror thriller setting. If you'd like to hear more of my thoughts on The Invisible Man, check out the Arnithology's recent Halloween episode. Invisible Man is absolutely Blumhouse at their best. This isn't. And uh, I think a big part of that is... The rating, I think they've aimed to get this in front of teenage girls. And so you can't address the rape theme as explicitly as you want to. And I don't mean in terms of graphic imagery. I mean in terms of uncomfortable themes and, and ideas. And then when it comes to the violence, they have to restrict how much blood is on screen. So anytime someone gets carved up and it's one of these killers it's black ooze coming out of them instead of blood. And the director has said, oh, we did that intentionally uh, so that it was literally toxic masculinity that was coming out of them. And I cry, bullshit, that was for a rating and you made it fit your thesis. And the big shame of all this is actually there are some good ideas in it because I think uh, if you're updating Black Christmas to what is happening in the world, specifically in the female world today, specifically in America, in a in a college. These ideas of, you know, consent and containment and, and being a prisoner in a man's world and a patriarchy, that's all happening in front of our eyes. And I just think this film did it with the subtlety of a sledgehammer. Yeah. And that's really, really unfortunate because there's some good imagery in this as well. I thought the the opening shot that, that ends with the snow angel was actually quite a graceful shot. And I, I'm going to assume that this was intentional. So the girl gets stabbed in the heart with an icicle. She falls into the snow and makes a snow angel as her arms are thrashing. And then this cloaked figure drags her body out of the shot, leaving a trail in the snow. And to me, what was left of the snow angel looked like a cock and balls. And if you're talking about 
toxic masculinity destroying fragile femininity or femininity in general. That's actually a really clever image. Not subtle, but clever. And that was the high point of the film. And it, th- th- there was another thing in it where um, Imogen Poots' character is walking through the hall of all the previous class presidents. And the guy that she has accused of d- uh, date raping her has this really leering painting, portrait of him. And it's ridiculous. But I think because the film is told through the female gaze rather than the male gaze, it's female creatives behind it, the female characters are the leads, that's you seeing the portrait through her eyes. And again, like this was like quite a promising thing if that's what the film was going for. But none of the horror stuff works. There's two films competing here. There's a serious film about dealing with the grief of seeing your rapist day in, day out, and no one believing her. And then there's this wacky, violent horror film that ends with a battle royale, which you're right, was, it, wasn't, it didn't work, the, the, the ending at all. I thought it, I was completely checked out by that point. And I just wish, because I, what I'm trying to say is I think the ingredients were there to make a really good film and a really good update of Black Christmas. And if it had really taken a page out of the Invisible Man's book and treated the idea of the trauma of rape and, and being a survivor seriously, that's a film I want to see. That is the film I wanted to see. But as a horror film, this doesn't work. As a piece of social commentary, it doesn't work. And while I don't like all those man babies downvoting something just because it has feminism attached to it, this is not a great object to promote feminism because it is just the loud shrieky version that seems to come away with the conclusion that men are shit and that's not that doesn't really that doesn't really work for anyone i don't think well i even felt it almost let the men off in a way at the end because because of the whole supernatural element of it yeah it was kind of a actually none of this matters because it was all some kind of supernatural thing we just get to burn all the men alive at the end of it. And the men can say, yeah, well, I mean, it's not really us, is it? Because it was a supernatural force that was behind. You know what I mean? Just it kind of it didn't address any of it. it just it, that kind of, to me, it let males off. Do you know what I mean? Not that I wanted to, I don't think you're ever going to get answers in a film. You know, that's, that's isn't the point of a film to get answers. It's to discuss, isn't it? But it's to bring up themes and ideas and, look at things it just felt like it was it was a bit dismissive oh compared to the ambiguity of the 74 version there's nothing left up for you to think about when you come out of this film you just come out going well all right it was kind of entertaining i guess and that's the thing i don't hate this film i think it's a well-made film and until about the halfway point i was kind of like uh, you know what? It is heavy-handed, but I'm enjoying some of this. I, I like the bit where the girls do the song and dance, and they flip the script on the lads. Not subtle at all, but it was it was well done, and you could see Imogen Poots' character, you know, finding her inner strength. And it's like, okay, that's great. This is this is what Jess did in '74. You know, I did like I did like that song. Yeah, and 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 I didn't think that although the song wasn't subtle. I, I thought I thought it was realistic. I I can see that happening. I can see them doing it. I can see that taking place. I thought because the song started off, no one knew that's what the song was going to be about, and it started off as a sort of a sweet, you know, sexy Christmas song or whatever. Mm. 
I didn't think that was, I thought it was fairly subtle to start with and, and, and came on as, as it grew, but I didn't think it was out of place. I did yeah. like that bit. Yeah. So a few, few things I just wanted to mention, something Catherine mentioned about the, about the original, actually. Uh, there was a good use of some Christmas decorations in kills in this one. So uh, some Christmas lights, because of course, when she went in the room, her light didn't work. So um, yeah, she got jumped and strangled with some Christmas lights, which you don't see. Yeah, <laughs> this bit in my notes um, says, something fires across the room, an arrow. A fucking bow and arrow. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool, actually, when the killer yeah. emerged out of a doorway with a bow and arrow. I was like, all right, yeah. it's fucking going yeah. to town now. Yeah, and that's why I was kind of saying it's not, it's not good, but I, I, I kind of got some enjoyment out of it. And I know this one thing, this is one thing that annoys Catherine about films, the, the kind of obvious kind of setups um, for, for a kind of scenario that they're in. And it's the bit where they're being attacked in the house and they do run off into the, uh, into the cupboard or into the, to the room they lock themselves in. And of course, all the phones have fell out their pocket. or All three of them. Yeah. All, all the phones. Yeah. That was bullshit. Yeah. Come on. I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't go anywhere without my damn phone. Yeah. I did want to mention uh, you mentioned a character called Landon, the, the lad that there's this, this tentative romance going on with. All I could think all the way through, if you've seen the recent documentary series on Netflix called Trial 4, really recommend it. It's an amazing documentary. But for the inevitable dramatization of that film that will happen, they must cast Caleb Eberhardt, who played Landon, because he is the spitting image of a young Sean Ellis. And also, actually, one of the girls, she was one of the final three, the brunette girl, uh, Marty, her character name was the actress called Lily Donahue. I thought actually bared a pretty passing resemblance to Olivia Hussey from the first film, and I wondered if that was intentional. Okay. Maybe just me. No, I can see it, but I didn't, I've not thought of that until you just said it. Any other final thoughts before we wrap up? Just the ending is weak. That's all I put. The ending is weak. So that is a Christmas wrap up. Oh. We're, we're doing the Christmas wrapping now, are we? Yeah. So yeah, that was that was Black Christmas, the OG and the remake. I think fair to say across the board, big fans of the original, but mixed, mm. mixed on the remake. So before we get into our kind of review scores and taking one thing from the remake into the original, Catherine, you got any more kind of stats and facts for us? IMDb scores, 7.2 for the original. I thought it's better than that, but okay. That's strong though. Anything above a seven is good. Three point three for the yeah. remake. And that's yeah. too that's too harsh, I think. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Um Rotten Tomatoes percentage, seventy one percent for the original, thirty eight percent for the remake. Mm, okay. So there's, much in there's line a theme. Then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Metacritic for the original forty nine. Remake sixty five. Which is a bit of an aberration. Mm. Um, yeah, so they both got mixed reviews when they came out, but as with so many of the ones that we look at, the originals, it has been um, received a crit- critical reappraisal and has now been regarded as one of the greatest horrors ever made. I feel like I could say that about 50% of the films we've looked at, but it's true. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say it's one of the greatest horror films ever made, but it's clearly very influential. And I think you can see, not just in Halloween, but When a Stranger Calls, uh, there was something else I've gone and forgotten anyway, but you can see it throughout the rest of the seventies and eighties for sure. Yeah. So 
obviously, I mean, they're both mixed, but the original was, it was mixed, but maybe on the poorer side. The Rotten Tomatoes consensus reads, better than the 2006 remake, yet not as sharp as the original. This Black Christmas stabs at timely feminist themes, but mostly hits on familiar pulp. I, I think that is maybe where you two are landing. But I thought it was awful. Do you want some facts? Oh, yep. yeah. Come on. Hit us. Okay, so in the original, you guys might know this, but it was called Black Christmas, but Warner Brothers changed it to Silent Night, Evil Night for the US release, Indeed, for the theatrical yeah. release. Um, just that was in case it was mistaken for a black exploitation movie, where um, they changed it back after two weeks and it did much better, the box office, after they changed it back. But for its TV de- debut, it changed names again to um, A Stranger in the House. Kind of gives away <laughs> the twist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure who made that decision, but um, there was actually some controversy over this, um, the TV release, because two weeks before it was due to be released, um, two college girls were killed on campus in Florida, and two more were brutally injured, severely injured, and the the governor of Florida called the network and asked if they could not show it because obviously it was two weeks ago and it was very shocking. Does anybody know who the murderer turned out to be? Ted Bundy, wasn't it? Ted Bundy, yeah. Wow. They didn't know that at the time, but yeah, apparently on his, um, when he escaped from prison, that was one of his um, activities. The original, because of the low budget, because it was only like 650000 um, they asked the most of the cast to wear their own clothes. So all of those clothes, they're not, there was no budget for them. There's no costume designer. So that kind of fantastic, massive fur coat that Chris, was it? The the boyfriend of Claire was wearing throughout the whole thing. You see him walking around in this big fur coat. That was his. Just showing off. Just showing off, yeah. Get to wear my own clothes. I'm going to wear this. So, uh, yeah, for those who don't know, Margot Kidder, of course, went on to be Lewis Lane. Lewis Lane? Lois Lane? Lois Lane, yeah. Lois Lane. Apparently, she was in Halloween 2. In 2009. Oh, okay, the, that, that yeah, Halloween. Rob Zombie yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, interestingly, called Barbara. Yeah. Well, clearly go. Rob Zombie was a fan of uh, Black Christmas then. No. You mentioned Porky's earlier, so that will be an interesting, uh, obviously what the director of Black Christmas went on to make. Yeah. Nothing to say? Yeah, no one Maybe. needs, you don't need to go back and watch Porky's again, trust me. That has not aged well. Next up, review time. Three word review time. So we would three word review the remake, of course, mm. and we all spend some quality time thinking about this. Well, um, we've got a top Cowboy Samurai USA, <laughs> three word review of Magnificent Seven uh, compared <laughs> to the uh, to Seven Samurai. That, that was the best one. <laughs> it was the best one. So does anybody want to go first? Yeah. Forced feminine failure. No, sorry. Forced feminist failure. Boom, done. Slammed. Uh, I went with, uh, because all of the the, fr- the frat houses and the sorority houses have, like, you know, Kappa Delta Phi or whatever, I went with uh, Horror Karma Femme. Mm. Not really review, but no, sort, sort of works. <laughs> I, uh, I had a few, you know, as I like to spend a bit of time doing this. Uh, not really review, but I had all the phones. Yeah. Not sure this is praise. Um, but better than Flatliners. Yeah. It, no, that was the film I was thinking of, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I am going to go with is Never Follow Pussy. 
<laughs> because if you, <laughs> if you, yes, that yeah, cats. there are cats. There are cats in the film, both films, and they ultimately lead one of the uh, certainly in the remake. They're looking for the cat. Ultimately, leads to their death. Never yeah. follow pussy in the original too. And or, or they're always it's always crying or something. It's always there in the background. Yeah. So there's a shot actually in the remake when the girl is going from room to room and then she comes out of the last room that she's coming out of to walk across the shot. The shot has been static the whole time and then the killer comes storming after mm. her from behind. That's a direct reference to one of the great jump scares in cinema history from The Exorcist 3, which is a very, very good film that's worth checking out and the jump scare version of it in Exorcist 3 is extremely upsetting. Uh, just thought I'd throw that out there. I, that reminds me, actually, in this film, there were two scenes or shots, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not technical, but that I liked both involving that character. And that was the one that you've just talked about, where it's just, like you say, it was a static shot and you, you see her going from room to room. And the way that the hooded, char- the hooded figure comes out and just grabs her and just like sort of moves her back, I really liked that. Mm. Also, when the shot of her dead body, it's a bit later on, I think, but it's when... Riley's leaving the house and it kind of pans back up and it's it's like the balcony yes it's kind of hidden by trees a bit but she's just there out in the snow I I just I don't know why I don't want to say I loved that shot of someone of a girl lying dead but it was just quite um I just like the shot I can't tell you why you know what I mean yeah yeah no I agree it was effective yeah just on the um on the cats as well don't know if you caught the uh I think it was kind of a mid-credit scene Ben Oh, no, I turned it off as soon as it was finished. Ah, so this is where Black Christmas 2 is going to come about because uh, mid credit scene, the cat is eating the black stuff. Mm. So we're going to have a fucking, what, mutant lion-o in there. (laughs) Black Christmas 2, Thundercats. So Black Christmas, the remake, we need to take one thing from the remake and pop it directly into the original so i see some nodding heads or nodding head from ben which means ben is going to go first snow angel cock and balls that's it that's the only thing in the remake that i liked it's the only thing that can go into the uh, original can, can you top that Catherine? i don't know if i could top it but it, it wasn't this exact death but i would like a death by christmas lights yeah that's fair enough and that is why Catherine stole my one thing from the remake. I didn't steal it. We obviously just, you know, on a on a on a level. We've both got the same idea. We are on a level. Yeah, so I had Christmas kills. I'd like to have seen Billy use some Christmas surroundings. Billy. In yeah. the original. Oh yeah, sorry, we are going back to the original. Apologies. It's all right, Agnes. <laughs> um well we can't have DMs. No. Well unless you're talking about Doc Martins. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So uh, in that case, then, and I didn't have a backup, sadly. Uh, I'm just gonna have to go with a bow and arrow. Well, yeah, okay. It wouldn't, it wouldn't fit. Not really. That is both where it lost me, and it sort of got me a little bit. It turns into a different kind of film, doesn't it? At that yeah, point. Yeah. That that's kind of what I thought I'd signed up for. Actually, I tell you, there was one moment that I quite liked. Just I know we're wrapping up, but it was just after that. And I think the campus security guy or, or cop or whatever he was had got the call that there was a, a murder on campus and he goes running to the, the door of the um, 
sorority house opens the door and it's not the girls that we've been following it's the girls that we saw at the very yeah. beginning having a completely different horror movie happen to them and i got a bit of a cabin in the woods vibe at that moment and i i did genuinely start to get excited again i was like are we gonna go meta here uh no it was just it was the feminist army for the end of the film wasn't it yeah go. yeah so yeah that was quite a good moment it's unexpected that was yeah. a, something he didn't see coming yeah. yeah so final thing before we uh before we do wrap up, is our review scores. Uh, so, Ben, can you remind our listeners what our rating scale is, please? I'm going to have to try and remember because it was so complex. I think if a film was really, really good and possibly even better than the original and brought some new ideas to bear, and we're saying it's amazing, if eh, neither one neither, nor the other, not better, maybe, maybe as good, probably a little bit not as good, then it's an agree make. And if it's a big old steamy shit, then it is unmake. We unmake it. We erase it from existence. Well remembered. Anybody want to go first? Shit make. Sh- shit make. <laughs> shit make. It's a new category. No, well, obviously, unmake. I've gone first. I, okay. I wanted to get that in because I knew you're dying to know how I felt about this film. Any advances on shit make, Ben? I'm, I am torn, I'll be honest. I don't think this is anywhere near as good as the original, but I can see what they were going for, and I think it's better to take a punt and miss than do a boring retread, which is what I believe the 06 version is. So I, I'm, I'm going to say a remake just because I think there is value in it. I think it's, it's watchable, but it's nowhere near as good as the original. So I am probably right between... Uh, the two of you guys, I think it isn't, it's not a good film. Setting expectations to anybody who's not seen it. You might have some fun with it. It's quite a... I've heard us talk about some of the, the fun elements to it. But it tries far too hard to, to be that, that kind of feminist film. And ultimately, I'm going to land on an unmake. But an unmake, I'm glad I watched. Unmake. Do you have strong feelings about no. Lego? Well, I like Lego. <laughs> I've used Lego. I couldn't say I've got strong feelings about it. You should get on Letterboxd just to read your husband's reviews then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, he read me that one. I liked that was that was a great <laughs> review. That was. He does read me them. Neil, what, the ones he's the ones he's proud of. What's 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 your name on Letterboxd so everyone can find your amazing uh, reviews? It is it is Barney Stuter. That is B A R N E Y S T U T A. Ben will put this in the show notes, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, but do do give us a you know follow on the socials. Uh, yeah, so Letterboxd um, for those again uh, on mass Twitter following. Uh, I've become very active uh, on Good Bad Remake. So that's Black Christmas, and we promised you that we would watch two Christmas films. Four actually. So Four, that is true. Um, so if you are on social, you may be already aware of this. We had a. A few kind of good guesses when uh, made it pretty obvious uh, with the uh, with what films we might be talking about, and like Catherine said at the start, wasn't quite what she was thinking when we were doing a Christmas film. Uh, Black Christmas was not it. So I'm very pleased to say that the second Christmas film that we'll be watching is more traditional, Miracle on 34th Street, and its remake, Miracle on 34th Street. Catherine, have you seen either film? I haven't seen either film. Whoa. 
That surprises me because you would have yeah. been the target audience for the remake. Really? When was it remade? 93, I think. So I would have been 13. Okay. Nah, Maybe not cool enough for me. Oh, okay. Not 13. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm aware of the film and I, yeah, it's just not really my kind of film. Fair enough. So I've, um, yeah, I've seen, definitely seen the remake. Uh, I suspect I've probably seen the original at some point. So I don't remember anything about the uh, about the, the original. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it because I think um, certainly the original, um, having looked into it since, is is pretty well acclaimed. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing how that is, and of course comparing it to its uh, to its remake. Ben, what about you? Pretty much the same. If I've seen the original, I don't really remember it. it, it I think I've probably just seen clips on on list shows and clip shows and things like that. I have seen the. Uh, Richard Attenborough, Mara Wilson version, because my sister was born a year or two before the film came out. So we would have watched it on video ad nauseum, I would have thought. I think it's fine from what I remember. I think it's very sweet. Obviously, Mara Wilson was incredibly cute, and that's that's the sort of thing that the film is aiming for. So, yeah, looking forward to it, because I'm a big fan of... I think the original probably came out around the same time as things like It's a Wonderful Life and and some of those speculative fantasy movies that were coming out at that time. Uh, so I'm looking forward to see how it fits in with things like that and Harvey and things like that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, even though I'm not a big Christmas person. So Miracle on 34th Street, or Streets, uh, should I say. I'm pleased to say that the film kind of digital aggregator site Just Watch has come in handy again. Uh, good news if you're a Sky subscriber. Um, they're on Sky Now, sorry, Sky Now TV, Go, Demand, etc. Both of them are. So free to watch if you're a Sky subscriber. If not, it is available to uh, buy usual kind of uh, digital app stores, Amazon, Apple, Google. Uh, it's £3.49. Or if you really want to invest and become a kind of a, you know, a, a, an annual watch for you uh, around the holiday season, uh, you can buy it all across the stores for £7.99. I will add this is at the time of recording, which is towards the end of November. So there may be some kind of discounts and specials that come out. So Ben, um, if people do want to uh, look out on the old socials, how do they get in touch? Find us on Facebook, the Good, the Bad and the Remake movie podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, where Neil will be talking about all of the films that he watches, as well as remakes. And that is at Good, Bad, Remake. And you can send us your longer thoughts, your opinions, your reviews, things we've missed, slagging us off, three-word reviews, anything you want, to goodbadremake at gmail.com. So that just leaves us to close the podcast. Now, I know uh, we got some excellent feedback, uh, very nice feedback, actually, from one of our listeners, a chap called Lewis uh, Albrow, or Albrow, I think his name is, um, where he closed, uh, put a PS at the end his email and he said p.s neil don't start getting good at wrap-ups i look forward to that bit i don't think you've got i don't think you've got anything to worry about lewis there's gonna be plenty of outtakes on this one so this one is for you and and not just the wrap-ups to be honest no No. it starts that way absolutely so it does just leave me to close the podcast goodbye from me goodbye from me and merry christmas from me Oh, and we look forward to joining us, watching the movies and listening to episode 13, Miracle on 34th Street. Merry Christmas!
So yeah, thank you, Ben. That was uh, very festive. Um... <laughs> How long we got, guys? <laughs> um, it's about a month till Christmas, so we yeah, might get okay. it. we might get there. Okay. Sick burn. <laughs>